Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Katerina, welcome to the podcast. It is lovely to have you here. Thank you, Anna. Thank you very much. Uh, so maybe I'll let you to quickly introduce yourself before we start. Fantastic. So uh, I'm Katerina Gorni. I'm the managing director and founder of uh, O2 Renewables and P3 Renewables. They're both companies involved in owning uh, renewable energy power plants. In particular, we develop uh, renewable energy power plants from scratch and we bring them to a ready-to-build phase in order then to resell them on the market to investors. We're going to explore a few interesting topics today because of the nature of the work you've been doing uh, for the past uh, 20 years, I think. You've already been focusing on renewable energy projects and more recently entrepreneurship. So these are the two main topics we'll explore a little bit more. So maybe to start with your career a little bit, looking at renewable energy and and where you are right now, uh, the managing director of your business, scaling up soon, so so ready to move from the startup phase into a a scale-up phase. Um, If you look back at your career and think of the key milestones in your career, what have they been? If someone wanted to follow your footsteps and and, and enter a similar career, uh, what would you say have been the key milestones? Oh, uh, very nice. Interesting question. So I think two big milestones that uh, have uh, really dominated probably my career journey. First of all, of course, is uh, moving to London. I am Italian by origin from, uh, from the north of Italy, from Milan. That's where I started. Uh, moving to another country has been really a very strong decision. I did it for love at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then the love passed, and uh, and actually the second milestone was the reason why I decided to stay, which was the discovering of a brand new sector which I fell in love with, uh, which is the renewable energy sector. Mm-hmm. It was a while ago. The sector was really just literally starting, so it definitely was not the core of interest of any. A major, I would say, investment environment and the potential of the sector, the need for something different and new in the energy sector really charmed me. I, I came from a background that was not really specifically energy related. So I would say that really changed completely the way I, I, I decided to go forward in my career. Yeah. So your background was investment and, and then you started focusing specifically on renewable energy. My focus was uh, consulting for big uh, international uh, organizations. I worked previously uh, when I was based in Italy for the World Bank Group, the International Mm -hmm. Finance Corporation. We've been helping these uh, organizations in uh, big restructuring processes for uh, previously socially owned uh, groups in Eastern Europe. Uh, That's where I started being in touch with uh, a little bit of the energy-related companies, Mm -hmm. extremely interesting. Uh, And then I moved into the private equity business. That's where I started working for a fund into these new projects, new deals relating to renewable energy. That's where I learned a lot of uh, 
of things about a sector that was really literally starting. So certain things didn't really have any track record yet on the mm-hmm. table. We needed to find a way of structuring projects mm-hmm. that were yet to, to become you know, a reality. That mm-hmm. was extremely exciting. But also uh, you, you, you learn to really base your decisions on, on your reasoning more than on standards or uh, really track record of someone who did it before. And I found that extremely exciting. And it was an incredible learning curve. I've been working for this uh, small private equity firm based in London for uh, seven, eight years. And those seven, eight years, in those seven, eight years, the sector literally started booming. Uh, I'm talking about um, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, the whole of Europe in different phases started really investing massively. You, you had first Germany, then Spain, then Italy, uh, first with the wind energy, then with the solar energy. Solar energy in particular, uh, our project when I was working with uh, private equity was uh, probably the biggest project being built in Sicily in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. It was a very small project actually, of three megawatts. Now you have the hundreds of megawatt size. Mm-hmm. But, but just to give you an idea on, on the sense of something new that is uh, uh, actually becoming bigger, where you can really give a contribution, it, it was not just literally pure work. It was probably a more exciting experience. And on top of that, because the fund was not particularly big, I had the possibility to be exposed to a lot of activities. We mm-hmm. literally were, were able to do photocopies up to negotiating big deals. And that's how it, uh, it uh, developed. Uh, at the end, I was able to be exposed to really decision-making deals, really having an idea of a whole wide range of drivers that push you really to create a power plant. Which traditionally, when you look at um, conventional energy, big deals, you know, very big power plants, very long time to develop them. It's not something that a small team of people can even strategically uh, be involved in. And that's, I think, the preciousness of, of the experience I had. And that's probably propelled me also, once this uh, chapter of my career uh, uh, finished, to be bold enough <laughs> mm-hmm. to start my own initiative. So what was the main reason you decided to leave that um, maybe a little bit safer space working for another business into starting your own venture? Uh, what, what, was your, what were your main motivators? Yeah, well, I, I think my main motivator was uh, the big love still for London and not willing to move because the business really grew uh, substantially in those years. It was where we were working there. Uh, it was really an incredible experience uh, because, you know, you, you felt, we felt we were really riding a wave. And that was very true. The way it started in the early 2000 on the renewable energy and went on. And, and with that also... Uh, technologies in uh, renewable energy starting to be more mature. We uh, lived on our day-to-day basis the big drop of cost that this technology had, meaning more investment was being were being mm-hmm. injected into into the sector. So that was very exciting. So at some point, by growing the company, there was a need to decide where to focus. And Italy at that time, even if the, the company was very much based in London, Italy was a big, uh, big market. And there was the option, obviously, to move back there. 
and frankly, I decided to stay. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that, that meant that I, I, I needed to look uh, for the next uh, challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the next challenge has been really to think of how to use the experience and, and, and put it into, into something more tangible. Of course, there was the possibility to continue the same path, so maybe mm-hmm. with another company, which was quite attractive. And there were bigger and bigger companies uh, investing, especially in the UK, because there was a system of incentives that were supporting capital mm-hmm. being injected in the sector. But then, again, I think the, the, the passion and also a little bit of craziness sometimes mm-hmm. pushed me really to, to say, okay, I really believe into this. I really love it. I have ideas. I had, I had also, I have to say, my interpretation of the market and and I felt like I wanted to really to to see whether those ideas and those visions of the market were able to to be proven I was very convinced and uh, and I think uh, at the moment I am very satisfied and, uh-huh. and what is still now something that really pushes me forward is that as a company when I started obviously we started with our own resources so not particularly capitalized, we, we really needed to really focus just on, on ideas and vision of the market. We've been really focusing on, uh, on our ideas, on developing mm-hmm. projects uh, with a, a certain interpretation of the market in place. We knew that being a small company, we needed to create a competitive advantage for us. And that's probably where the boldness kicked in. We decided that the focus was going to be just on the UK, mm-hmm. developing power plant in the UK. I wanted to focus on a single market and mm-hmm. uh, analyze the market and provide innovative solutions to the market and, mm-hmm. and create a competitive advantage there, which would allow us then to attract uh, more mm-hmm. capital. And mm-hmm. So the competitive uh, advantage is specialization in this one specific market. Yes, and mm-hmm. also I, I believe that when you start a company and a business, you just really need to have very clear, maybe uh, uh, not too many goals, but uh, very clear goals on which you can deliver possibly mm-hmm. as quickly as you can just mm-hmm. to create a track record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ha- I, I was coming from the sector, so I had an extremely good exposure in the content uh, and the execution of deals and, 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 and projects, but Frankly, I have never been an entrepreneur before. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I needed to prove myself on that. And that is course. actually something that I think everyone <laughs> has to have to do when they, they do this switch. You started renewable, uh, Oak Tree Renewables how many years ago now? Oak Tree Renewables, which is the service management company, uh-huh. probably around eight, eight years ago. Uh-huh. So you've been an entrepreneur uh, for eight years. For eight years. And then what we needed to do and we wanted to do is just really to start developing the project. So become also the ownership of the asset, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. different kind of position, obviously, and created a platform. I say we because I have partners, obviously. And in this platform, we now own 250 megawatts of projects, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. stages of development. Some of them are more advanced, some are a little bit more at the earlier stage, but these 250 megawatts are, are, are a sizable pipeline of sites. Mm-hmm. They're all fully focused on the UK market. And because of that, we are very much focusing in inserting, uh, injecting the, the business model, the innovation, if you want, that we saw and, and we wanted to develop uh, in the UK market. And particularly when we started with Oak Tree Renewables, 
first, and then uh, with Pit Free Renewables, which is the platform owning the the sites, we knew of, that we had a lot of competitors. Actually, there are a lot mm-hmm. of developers. There is a lot of capital as well to invest in renewable energy mm-hmm. projects. But also, we saw that uh, there was actually a very soon to be strong limitation to these projects being developed in the UK. And because for us, the most important thing is develop and make as much as project as it is possible. So the goal is always do more project, more project, and more project. We could foresee that very soon we would have had problems in doing it. Mm -hmm. Because in the UK, and that was foreseeable already 10, 15 years ago, actually, the grid is a very centralized grid. So Mm -hmm. this means that it's very... It's lacking a lot in flexibility. When you inject uh, renewable energy into the grid, it's a very cutted energy throughout the day. And you cannot project it very well, especially if uh, it is a source uh, coming from wind, which solar more or less, you know, when there is a sun, <laughs> you have energy more or less. And, and um, when it's night, it's highly likely you don't. But this means that the, the, the grid uh, should be able to be flexible enough to switch on, take on board the energy when it is uh, produced. And sometimes there are peaks of energy coming into the grid that are very high. Mm-hmm. And also to be able to maintain at least the load, the base load, when all these uh, flow of energy lacks. Mm-hmm. And when the grid is centralized, this is not possible. It creates a lot of uh, uh, problems. So the problem is that basically there there was going to be a lot of investment in renewable energy and, uh, and projects. Uh, there was going to be a lot of requests to be connected to the grid, but the grid was not able to accommodate all these projects. We knew mm-hmm. that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also the grid was going to have frequency problems because of these scattered flow of energy in and out. This means for a developer of uh, any sort of energy power plant, not just renewable, but also conventional, not possibility to sell your energy full, uh, your full generated energy into the grid. So your financial model has a problem. We were foreseeing this and we then decided that we were going to restructure our assets in a way that we're going to, to be flexible enough to not be completely dependent to the, to the grid. We hybridized the projects. We focused on a technology that allowed us to do that. So our projects are mainly solar. We add uh, a new technology to the solar, which is for energy storage. Energy storage allows us to store the energy that we produce during the day when there is that very big peak of energy that uh, grid cannot accommodate. Mm-hmm. We store the energy and we can, you know, reuse the energy in the most efficient way, whether it is selling energy during the night time, whether it is do, during the day when the price of energy is higher. And this allows us, to be honest, to also, resell the energy maybe locally, local consumer at a much cheaper price in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we have built a pipeline of projects trying to exploit a little bit an alternative way of structuring the asset. Mm-hmm. For us, this is a sort of a next generation of renewable mm-hmm. energy power mm-hmm. plant. They have a component of a grid, of a private mm-hmm. grid. That's why we also call them smart grid projects. Mm-hmm. There is a transitional infrastructural mm-hmm. issue grid mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. and what we believe we have is a solution so that mm-hmm. is not just applicable in the UK we can also adapt it in other markets and we're already looking at other markets. So you've you've managed to solve this problem of old infrastructure that isn't adapted to, to this new energy 
ecosystem with many renewable energy uh, generation uh, facilities. Uh, so you have a, a good financial solution for that. How did you solve the challenges of funding? As you said, uh, it's really interesting. You, you started as a startup. There was a lot of competition. Who are you collaborating with right now, mainly? And, and how did you ch- solve that funding challenge? Capital is also very, very much required in our sector, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if you're a developer. A developer means that you are deploying your resources very early stage in the uh, in the creation of the asset. Uh, when the risk is also a little bit higher than the index of the value chain, once your project is uh, ready to build, meaning has all the permissions, all the contracts aligned, in reality, your risk is very is is substantially uh, low, uh, and this means uh, you know you can maybe deploy a little bit more capital and uh, and and so on. So all throughout the value chain of this asset, uh, mm-hmm. there are different investment uh, profiles and and capital risks. So we are at the beginning. So for us, it's also business which is also very capital intensive because. You, your asset requires capital for one or two years before it's most likely going to be ready mm-hmm. to build and it's going to be capable to generate any cash flow. Mm-hmm. So for us, fundraising is fundamental, <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we started fundraising uh, once we had the first uh, more established uh, set of projects because before mm-hmm. we are really the, the original pool of funders and, and capital provision. We started checking the market to understand what was the best uh, fundraising strategy around one year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a different range of uh, options to, to consider. And, and one option was to fundraise with uh, a more institutional fundraising. One option was to bring on board maybe uh, another partner to work with mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. And the third option was also to start selling some projects at the earliest stage and so and, and, and to co-develop with other mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. funds investing in the in the sector. So we, we started checking the market for what mm-hmm. was the best solution for us and where we were more attractive because we were still proposing projects that were slightly different from the more mainstream, uh, we call them plain vanilla, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. energy or solar project. Our solution requires a, a little bit, require a little bit more work because we don't provide just uh, a power plant that has a connection to the grid and, an, and, an, and a permission from the local authority and a contract with the landlord. We, we go forward. We also provide a contract solution to sell the energy. We sort out the, the connection solution in different ways. There's a slightly more work to be done. So at the beginning, we found that uh, we needed to make an extra effort to explain what we were doing and on what interpretation of the market the solution was based. And that was very surprising because we found out that we were amongst the most proactive uh, trying to find a solution that was already tackling a a big problem that we could see coming. If you think it takes two to three years to have a project developed from zero up to Mm -hmm. operational. So Mm -hmm. you want to be able to be sure that in three years time, you're not going to have problems because otherwise you have three years of investment, of capital investment, and you get at the third year and the grid tells you, you know what, you're not going to connect this year. You're going to connect in 15 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is something that we were seeing coming and not many were. 
actually that uh, it was ab absolutely the right direction to go to. Mm -hmm. I have to say in the last uh, year or so, we had really a long queue of interested mm -hmm. founders in the mm -hmm. sector, already mm -hmm. active in the sector, but uh, more present on the value chain. So with uh, more mm -hmm. capital availability, capable to, uh, to build the assets and also to operate it in the long term. Mm -hmm. So that has been really a great confirmation that we have built a competitive advantage, actually. Your business model is yeah. working. There's a topic that we started discussing in our last conversation, which I wanted to explore with you. We talked about the difference between renewable energy and sustainable energy, and, and you were passionately explaining the difference. So if you could talk a little bit about that, why is it important to differentiate between these two, between renewable and sustainable energy? Well, I think, uh, and, and uh, allow me to say, uh, this, this is uh, uh, an opinion, an analysis of someone who comes from renewable energy and maybe more finance background. Uh, well, sustainability is a, a much wider sector, much wider category. Renewable energy usually is within the sustainability, is a channel to convey mm -hmm. sustainability, but not necessarily a renewable energy company is sustainable. Sustainability requires different variables to be uh, considered. I would say the risk in the renewable energy space is that some aspects of sustainability, because you already deal as a core business with uh, renewable energy, are just a little bit uh, uh, overlooked. And I'm having in my mind big, big, huge power plants, even with renewable energy, that are not really very considerate about the environmental impact. Now, uh, it depends, obviously, country by country, depends by uh, on uh, local legislation to local legislation. But sometimes it's about common sense to understand that you, if you're building a solar site of 200 megawatts uh, in, a, in a very small countryside environment, not in the Sahara the desert, the environmental impact is going to be probably much higher. And the benefits that you're going to receive should be a little bit, you know, balanced with the, mm -hmm. the impact that that uh, is going to happen. Clearly, there, there should be a little bit more consideration uh, in terms of legislation on, on what is to be considered also sustainable. I don't think mm -hmm. that at the moment there's not, because as a mm -hmm. developer, I can tell you when we go to planning, so where we mm -hmm. we have to go through a process to check how much we really are sustainable and respect the environment and, and, the, and all the stakeholders of a the project, there is, at least in the UK, a very thorough check. Of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Personally, dealing with uh, renewable energy for the last almost 20 years, in, in my experience, sizing is important to be considered. We, we in the UK, which is a, a territory that is not particularly vast, like maybe in the US, I would stake to sizable size of a project. In our case, because we, we tend also to want to sell energy directly to local consumers, we tend to adapt the size mm -hmm. of our plant also to the mm -hmm. local needs, which I think is mm -hmm. a sustainable approach to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. again, uh, I, I think when, when we consider sustainability, we need to, to really consider how the projects really insert into the interest also of all the stakeholders and, and mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. consider all the stakeholders, not just you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Finally, I wanted to discuss women in entrepreneurship. It's it's another topic that we talked uh, about earlier, and there are a lot of uh, statistics that talk about how still there are way less women entrepreneurs, women 
setting up new organizations and women driving, scaling up organizations. I think those, uh, one of the statistics I've been reading recently uh, was saying that um, two out of every five early stage entrepreneurs uh, are women. That's for early stage. And we discussed how probably only 20% of women are involved in scale-ups or, or driving scale-up businesses. It's interesting to see because I work a lot with corporations and, and a lot of them actually have done some fantastic work in driving diversity, you know, equal representation across the board. And, and there's still some way to be done, but I think the progress has been amazing. So I just wanted to see what is your experience in that? Do you mm. see similar statistics when you, when you fund, we've discussed fundraising, for example, what's your experience? My experience is that uh, in the last 10 years, well, at least uh, since I started with my initiative, a lot of things have changed uh, and there are more women and there are a lot of passionate women. And it seems like a gate has been opened. <laughs> That's my perception. Mm-hmm. Environments, all sorts of environments seem more ease in having a more active interaction with women, which is great. It's useful, obviously, because it allows ideas to be protagonists, not the gender issue, which is finally really, really important. I think I can see startup businesses being quite well represented by women. It seems to me um, it's a it's a very good figure, I would say, very, very optimistic about that because it allows a new, very strong flow of ideas uh, and possibly innovations to come to fruition, which I would imagine we, we all really need to. The figure that probably uh, seems to to still have a, a gap where, where I also had a little bit of experience is the scaling up fundraising figure mm-hmm. where actually mm-hmm. I think I've seen a figure of 12% of women mm-hmm. uh, successfully mm-hmm. scaling up those startups, which seems to mm-hmm. me a little bit underrepresented. That's true. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, that's actually a very good question to, to pose why this uh, as it is. My vision is that there might be a little bit of a legacy uh, of a bias, it could mm-hmm. be, especially considering that the financial sector is traditionally quite conservative for several different reasons, uh, also in order to kind of push back on the on risk and where there is no track record, the, the, the financiers could see there, there might be a risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might also be a reason that some boards that they have some decision making in their hands are still... Uh, a little bit mono monogender that's that's probably a, a relevant aspect as well there are some soft elements to it uh, um, as women we also I, w- I would also say although i don't know how much this is impactful we have a slightly different way of communicating uh, and mm-hmm. uh, not not saying that that could be the only reason why uh, the numbers are not uh, the same but, um, it might be that sometimes uh, we might need to enhance a little bit our self-confidence. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is something that I, I do recognize with myself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, a, a way of dealing with that, I guess, for me, women that really need that extra <laughs> strength uh, could be mm-hmm. to, to really focus on, on the ideas, on, on the goals of the business. Uh, the, the determination to go mm-hmm. forward is usually very well perceived. Uh, and I think also we are in a transitional moment. So the figure might be at 12% now, but with the, the mentioning you, you were saying of um, 
that much work being done, especially on the multinational level, on more institutionalized companies, we are seeing more diverse boards. It is very helpful. And, and I'm not saying just for the gender issue. Women are 50% of the population, of course. Mm. It's a very evident misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. But there are other diversity issues probably that could be beneficial uh, to, to tackle within these uh, these boards. And, and, and I think in the UK at the moment, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, on those multinationals level, we, we already have a, a good representation of 40, if not 50% of women in board. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this change requires a little bit of time. And when it gets to decision making, which will have an impact on the scaling map, mm-hmm. we still need a little bit more time. So personally, I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I think in, in a, it would be very interesting to see what's going to happen with those numbers in five years' time. I really do expect mm-hmm. that increase. Mm-hmm. What advice, so looking specifically at your sector, because this is, of course, where you've been working uh, throughout your career, what advice would you give to women, but all people really, who would like to advance their career in general renewable energy sector, maybe in more specifically uh, investment and power generation development, what advice would you give to people? What skills do they have to acquire? How should they, you know, shape their career to, to, to make some advancements? And, and on the other hand, what we should collectively do? So what should sector do to open up a little bit more, perhaps, or, or to attract more women, to attract other individuals into the sector and just benefit from, from the diversity of ideas and from, from growing uh, of that sector that which is so important <laughs> to all of us. Yeah, well, great question. I could <laughs> talk for hours, but better mm-hmm. not to. I think for those who would uh, would be interested in entering the sector, depending on which seniority we're talking about, our sector is a sector that now started really having some track record, some standards. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are fantastic courses for the youngers uh, at universities that are really tackling some of the main aspects of the uh, of our sector, I would advise them to maybe also do a master mm-hmm. in order to be introduced on how the sector works. And then enthusiasm is always the bigger driver, in, in, in my, my opinion. And then you just go and uh, there is an incredible amount of opportunities at the moment. Really, a lot of companies that are investing and searching for uh, people skilled and, and maybe also people a little bit less skilled but willing to, to work in the sector. So I would say go in and, and exploit the opportunities, the sector that is uh, has not reached the maturity yet. And... The way it is shaping is really, at the moment, very much based on the capability to innovate because there are some uh, transitional issues like the one we discussed with the grid. So definitely it's a great moment to, to be involved and to, to learn. It's not, a, a, I think, a sector where you have huge barriers at the entrance. Just, of course, if you are a little bit more senior and you have never been exposed into this kind of a of environment, uh, this kind of sector, I would advise to do maybe a small course to, just to identify what are the drivers of the sector and then, you know, pick which which areas of the sector more financial, more technical, more commercial. There's really mm-hmm. a very wide range of possibilities. So mm-hmm. we'll one. For those who, who wants to be a little bit more entrepreneurial, independently of the gender, that's that's not an, an issue really. I would say just just be 
very clear with what you want to achieve, what is very important for you, because uh, the entrepreneurial career is uh, is not just a profession, it's a choice of, uh, of life, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> which is uh, something that you, you really need to take into consideration. It's an incredibly exciting ride, but you stay, you, you always need to stay grounded, you always need to have your goal in your mind and keep on going, very determined. It's very rare to have a very smooth path. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Obviously, mm-hmm. when the sector goes very well, it's slightly easier. But always, you need to to tackle the management issue. It's not just about the ideas. It's also a lot about delivery and execution. And you, you need to have always these, these two big pillars, ideas, determination goals, and delivery and execution. I guess uh, you're faced with a lot of people who not necessarily believe in your ideas immediately. So you have to be very persuasive and, and as you said, not only be determined and believe in your ideas, but but also relentless and persuasive in, in selling totally. them. Totally. It's like a roller coaster sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if if you're really strong enough and you 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 really your desire must be strong. You really need to be sure about what you do because you're going to find a lot of people not necessarily sharing your, your ideas. So you need to, to be able to articulate why <laughs> you are doing what you're doing. And it's, um, it's, I think, a very healthy process. The second, uh, the second issue is, uh, is regarding the sector, right? Uh, what I would reckon it would be interesting and good to to have as a support you mean mm-hmm, I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. understand uh, well a good support is, in my opinion is uh, relating to really challenge ourselves to start looking at things slightly in a in a different perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like for example in the case of uh, of the mono gender or mono view boards of directors that are, are used to continue taking decisions in the way they were taking 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, let's push ourselves a little bit more because it's a moment of history where we, we, we I believe we really need to find new solutions for problems that we are dragging on uh, mm-hmm. for, for long and, and we didn't solve. So this mm-hmm. means that if we want to be very rational, the solutions that have been uh, uh, found so far was not good and there was mm-hmm. not a good delivery mm-hmm, <laughs> on that. Mm-hmm. There are still some problems. Energy is a problem. Pollution is another problem. Let's start supporting. Just think outside of the box. <laughs> so yes, yes. A little bit more if possible people that are thinking out of the box independently of their gender, mm-hmm. <laughs> race yes. or whatever. This should really not be an issue. Ideas should talk. And if we can really make at least the effort to focus on those ideas, again, also to those who decide to, to invest or not, check if someone who's presenting or pitching a, a, an investment has the goals, the, has clear goals in front of them and are capable to deliver and, and give a chance maybe to someone who maybe didn't have a track record to, to be supported. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's something that I think is key at the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, um, it's very well documented uh, and studied, uh, the fact that we all have uh, implicit bias. It, we just have it. It's human. And oh, this right. is why a lot of organizations, big corporations, for example, they make sure that interview panels are made up of a variety of people so, so there's not just one bias that will determine who are you choosing maybe for a certain role or for, for a certain project uh, so, so these little things 
help a lot, you know, making sure that you've been interviewed by by, diff, by a variety of groups. So there is a process to interviewing or choosing a project in this in this aspect uh, or investing in a project that really only looks at the facts rather than that it eliminates the bias and any subjective kind of assessments as much as possible and only looks at objective facts that can be compared one after another regardless of who is presenting it. One probably method way that would be welcome and, and that would yield uh, more creativity in, in projects, in ideas coming into fruition. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's not just because it's ethically correct. Mm. It's because it increases the probabilities that mm. you're going to earn more money, basically. <laughs> Precisely, it's like, like you said, there are problems that we haven't had answers for such a long time. So, of course, we cannot do keep doing the same thing over and over. There's the famous yeah. saying about it. <laughs> it's madness. Yeah. So you need new, new solutions for choosing projects, for, for investing, etc. Yeah, I uh, totally am, uh, am, am for this. And um, yeah, and, and again, for renewable energy, then we all have our own personal behavior, the way we consume energy of course and and this is a very difficult one i mean coming back to sustainability and renewable mm-hmm. energy you would be surprised uh, how many of us uh, even those who are big advocates for renewable energy have a, an incredibly consumeristic way of uh, dealing with energy we sometimes are also in a position when we want to be able to save a little bit more in energy we can't. It's, uh, we, we, we have needs during the day. Uh, we are used to get warm at specific level of temperature. Some of our houses do not allow not to, to switch on the heating uh, because they are not insulated pro- properly. There are all these aspects where they get acknowledged that uh, maybe as a collective or also as an individual, we can kind of interact with. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in the category, all of us, uh, we mm-hmm. are in certain system, we, we, we certainly need a, a, to switch our uh, point of view on these points uh, as a collective uh, mm-hmm. in order to tackle. And we're doing it, but yeah. it requires time. The, the, there are many points in the kind of supply chain of the energy where it can be conserved. It's not about making sure that it comes from a renewable source, but it's about making sure that it's used sustainably as well. And how houses are isolated, as you said, that can uh, uh, that can um, influence a lot whether we've conserved the energy or whether we've purely just wasted it. Uh, education, 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 I guess. Yes, and I, and I think you can allow me that new generation is a little bit better than us. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for, for, for the conversation. Thank you. And the pleasure was completely mine, really. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com if you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.